Good morning. We are in our series today called Our Next Guest. That series, if you've been with us, has had, we've had some guest speakers in it. Last week, we got to hear from Reed. Reed talked about how we are created in the image of God. And Reed talked about some of our community partners and introduced us to Christy Shaw and to Clarity and the connection that we've had with Clarity for a really long time that Christy has had, and how what drives them is that idea that we are created in the image of God. And one of the driving beliefs we have here at the Ridge, it's actually uh, one of our values as a church, is nothing matters if people don't matter. That belief comes directly from that idea that we are created in the image of God. People have value, and we choose to love one another because God loved us. I don't think we would be loving people really well if we didn't address one of the major things in our world today, and that's mental health. Mental health is described by the World Health Organization as a mental health crisis. And you have probably heard more about mental health in the last five years of your life, if you're like me, than you have your entire life. And there's a reason for that. According to the World Health Organization, one in eight people in the world live with mental health issues. One in eight. That's 970 million people. And the reason I tell you that is because if you're not that one, you're one of the seven and you're probably connected to somebody that is that is dealing with that. And so it touches so many of our lives in different ways. I also tell you that to say, if you are the one, you are not alone. 970 million people in our world today are dealing with mental health. And we wouldn't be a very caring community of Christ followers if we didn't address and talk about that and love people in that and and explore how to help them uh, when they're struggling with that. And so we want to take a deeper look at mental health today. That's what we're going to talk about. One of the ways that we care for those in our church, in our community, is through what we call a care conversation. A care conversation is something that you can, anybody can have with one of our pastors. Um, it's just reaching out. Most of care conversations are in the mental health world. Sometimes they're about marriage and other relationships and things like that. But it's just reaching out and saying, hey, I need help. I don't know what my next step is. I don't know where I should go with this next or what to do about it. And so you can set up a care conversation with a pastor that starts us on that journey together, that engages somebody else in your mental health. And that's one thing I want you to know today is that you can engage God in your mental health through steps like that. Now, very often when we talk about mental health with people in these care conversations, it can lead to a lot of different avenues in those next steps. One thing that we do is sometimes we'll refer people to counseling, to ongoing counseling. And we, we have great partnerships with community downtown counseling located right here in Columbus, where you go, you talk to somebody, it's, it follows more the hour a week type format of counseling, but they can come alongside you from a, a biblical perspective and walk the journey with you. Another partnership is, that we have is through 12 Stones Ministries in Brown County. It takes on a little different form. It's what they call a counseling intensive. It covers about three days. 
It's about 20 hours of counseling over those three days, but you leave there with a roadmap of what do I do in the future with this? How do I step forward? What are my next steps? And so today I want to invite Craig Mercer out. Craig is a counselor at 12 Stones. He's been a licensed biblical counselor for 12 years. He has his master's in it. He's sorry, for 20 years. He's been at 12 Stones for about 12 years in that. And so Craig's also, he's married to his wife, Lisa. He's from Northern Ireland. And so help me welcome Craig out. So we're just, we're going to have a conversation today. I want you guys to uh, have a conversation with me, with Craig about this topic. But first I wanted you to get to know him. Um, I mentioned earlier uh, that he was from Northern Ireland, right? And so, Craig, tell me, how old were you when you first moved to Ireland? How many people ask you, be honest, uh, if you knew where their pot of gold was uh, at the end of the rainbow? Well, I, well, I was born in Ireland, and then I came over here in my, my 23 years old. Oh, okay. And yes, when I came over here, um, one of the first things, when I got on campus at school, I had someone come up to me and say, um, say lucky terms are magically delicious. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. <laughs> Everybody started to laugh. But the funny thing was, I'd never heard of lucky charms. I didn't even know what I was saying. Um, because they don't have them in Ireland. Well, they may do now, but they didn't when I was over here. So I was kind of like, so I repeated that statement and I'm like, where am I? Why? Americans are a little easily amused. <laughs> so yeah. that, that, was, that was that. And so then I would, a lot of times people say, oh, you've lost your accent. And I'd say, well, if you think I used to talk like this, like a little leprechaun hit you with my shillelagh while I'm drinking some of the black stuff. Um, I never talk like that. That's a southern accent. I only understood like two words in that. I mean, you were when you love Jesus English. better, you'll be able to understand. Oh, is that right? <laughs> clearly where God favors is, is in Ireland. Um, so. so you, I mentioned you've been in uh, a professional counselor for really over 20 years now, mm-hmm. and uh, I've actually, uh, we were talking earlier, I think I've known you for 11 to 12 years yep. now. Um, we were first introduced when I was actually at 12 Stones seeking counseling for myself as well, um, which is super comfortable uh, to oh, talk oh, about wait. here, but let's not talk about that. Uh, but Well, actually, we can, yeah. we're going to put it up on the we're screen. Gonna, <laughs> we're going to put Tim's counseling session yeah. up here on the, on the screen. Um, but I'm curious, I think people are curious, what, what drove you into being a professional counselor? What, what prompted you into that in your life? Um, I think God knew that I would never be able to afford the therapy that I needed, so I needed to actually have a professional. Figure it out how to do it yourself? To figure it out to do it myself and be constantly confronted with the things that I needed. Um, but, well, in all seriousness, so... A little background, obviously grew up in Northern Ireland. Um, I'm the youngest of three, I have two older sisters, so I struggled a lot and suffered a lot under their hands. Any, anybody else, firstborn? Firstborn? Oh, yeah, we've got yeah, a few. Yeah, yeah. I, know, I know your pain, I know your pain. But I had true confession, right? Like, uh, as a younger brother, one of the things you learn to master very early on is the art of aggravation. Right? Those of you who are older siblings are going, mm-hmm, preach it, yep, yep, I know that one. So, but grew up in Northern Ireland, grew up in what was typically known as the Troubles, or the conflict between Protestant and Catholics, lots of violence, lots of uncertainty. So we lived in a very sort of tense environment all the time. You never quite knew, was a bomb going to go off, someone's going to get shot. So, so, but you learn to live with it, right? You have a certain 
thresholds that you get used to when you've got military walking up and down the street. You don't pay attention to it until somebody else is like, that's weird. Yeah. And I'm like, what is? <laughs> the two soldiers that walk past with machine guns. Oh, I didn't even notice. Wow. So um, where, did that, where did some of that lead you in your uh, teen years? And like yeah, that? so I, I think partly because of growing up Right? As the youngest, one of the things that, that I began to recognize very early on is I never particularly felt like I fitted in or f- even felt comfortable in my own skin. And so from a very young age, I learned to be very sort of um, malleable and adaptive to my environment, try to figure out, okay, how do I fit in this situation with people? Mm. And, uh, and so just sort of shapeshift, if you will. Mm. And, and, but that, going into my teens, I became sort of the black sheep of the, the family, the wild child. And, that led me to some pretty dark places. Uh, one of the key ones was at 21, I ended up in a psych ward with agitated depression because I mm. was a danger to myself or someone else. Wow. So it really sets you up for success when you're sitting in a psych ward. This is back when you could smoke in the hospital, you know? Everybody's sitting in the smoke room and you got people going back and forth, rocking on the chairs. And I'm like, how on earth do I come back from this? I've ruined my life. I'm 21 years old. I've blown my life up. Um, and then that's where I met Jesus. Oh, wow. The wow. real Jesus, not the one in bed four or his mom in bed seven, but <laughs> the, the real one. I, I met the real Jesus. <laughs> uh, so uh, I'm going to assume then you became a, a Christian follower of Jesus, and your life has been perfect since then. Oh, I haven't had a struggle since. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Once you, once you believe in God, life is just like this, you know, utopian, <laughs> just in cruise control, just waiting for yeah. Jesus to return or yeah. take us home. Yeah, no. well, good for you. I, I wish, right? <laughs> I wish. No, um, obviously then when I came over to the States, I met my wife, um, Lisa, and one of the, the challenges that we were confronted with early on in our marriage within the first year was that she was diagnosed with epilepsy, um, which we weren't able to get under control, and that led to many years of, of trying to figure out what is life going to look like. And it sort of was distilled down. The best way I could capture it to tell you is like, <clears throat> excuse me, how do you learn to live well in the valley when there's no expiration date on the trial, right? When, when, when there's situations that are um, entrenched and they don't see like they ha- there's any way out, it changes how you have to engage God, how you have to engage daily life. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of that really shaped my heart for people because I knew my own, the intensity and the darkness that I experienced in my own life, but seeing how God can lift that, even when it feels like it's impossible, mm. that was kind of really one of the, the uh, fuel lines, if you will, that, that sure. led me into to counseling. Yeah. Um, that's actually one of the reasons I wanted Craig to come and talk to us today. Uh, and knowing Craig, um, his story, uh, not only does he have these conversations professionally with people, but he's lived this in his life and is currently living kind of with how to deal with some of the mental health stuff that goes on. And I think uh, Craig's one of um, the people I know that just bring this into a great perspective. And so I wanted to give you guys the opportunity to meet him and have this conversation with me. So I said this a little bit earlier, why does this whole mental health conversation really seem to be like this fairly new topic? I mean, I'm sure it isn't. People have been the same for years, but I, I really don't recall um, this being a big a, a issue as it is 10 plus years ago, 15 years ago when I was growing up. Why do you think that is? 
I mean, I think, one, you're a lot older. Um, but <laughs> outside, I just needed to make sure you clarify. I know you're shocked that I'm so young looking. It's okay. Um, but uh, I think part of that is the, the digital connectedness that we have in mm. culture now. Social media um, has made people's voice more accessible mm. and has given people even more platforms to even put voice and hearing other people talk about their own struggles. They go, hey, wait, I struggle with that. Yeah, that's me. And it sort of in, it emboldens people. Yeah. And so I think that's why the conversation has become more prevalent and less stigmatized because back in the day, right, the, the imagery of when you think about mental health, you think about straight jacket yeah. sitting in a corner, you yeah, know. yeah. I, I made this uh, observation first service, so I feel like it's only fair to make you. When he described that, this is really going to age me. But uh, in the 80s, Quiet Riot had an album uh, called Mental Health that had a picture of a guy in a straight jacket. Who remembers it? Come on. All right. There we yeah, go. Nice, see? nice. So, like, look, like, that's not far off when you think about uh, what I think I used to have a perception of mental health meant. Like, oh, that's how you treat mental health, right? And that's the world in which we lived in or thought we lived in or whatever. And it's so much different and better, I think, now that this is something mm -hmm. that people are talking about, right? right. Oh, and so absolutely. the next thing is, what do, you, what do we do with that? I mean, I think that really becomes uh, another level of things. And so um, the question that I've got that I hope they have that, that you're going to find that I'm going to ask him questions that I hope you're thinking uh, throughout this morning that help guide our conversation a little bit. But what do you see people struggle with the most? Or maybe a better way to say it is, what do you counsel people with the most, about the most? Yeah, so, so again, just stepping back one second as regards to right, mental health, it's a pretty loaded statement. It's a, oh, yeah. But it's, it's a very much, it's, a, it's an umbrella term to try to capture just the, really what mental health is about is our, you know, how do we think, respond, feel to the pressures of life. That's really what it's about. And, and then the disparity between that, right, and people unable to cope with certain pressures and giving them tools and ability to, to, to re-engage. What's the scope of mental health? Like when, you, when we say that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a nuts and bolts anywhere from, you know, anxiety and depression to, um, you know, abuse, trauma, and everything in, everything in between conflict, you know, marriages, I'm sure they don't have them in Columbus, but um, it, marriages in Bloomington sometimes can have difficulties and need help to right. untangle communication. But I don't know if it happens around here, does it? No. <laughs> Obviously not. So you, you're, you're way better Whew. over here. We're better than Bloomington. Yeah. Yeah. For a boiler It's like IU fan. and Purdue battle. I was going to say, for forth, a Purdue right? fan, that's, I've grown up being better than Bloomington, so that's only fair. It's okay for you to be deluded. It's yeah. okay. We can talk about that later. <laughs> So, so what, back to that question, what do, you, what do you find that you are having conversations with people the most about? Yeah, so I would say that whatever issue someone comes with, whether it's marital conflict, yeah. what you'll find is when you get into people's stories, a very familiar experiences, anxiety and depression will typically not be too far from the conversation. They live somewhere in those Some, Yeah, live somewhere in that conversation, um, and, and some will vary of intensity. Yeah. Um, another World Health Organization statistic, it said that over 301 million are living with anxiety and 58 million people on this earth uh, 
58 million of those are children. So it is a, it is a very, very big deal. Um, I actually saw a st statistic, and again, those, those figures change over time, but yeah. one of the ones that I saw that actually it's about 18.4% of the world's population deal with anxiety. So that's roughly about 1.4 billion. Wow. So we're even another half. Wow. You know, yeah. even, it's even worse. Yeah, and I, I saw um, one of the things I read said over COVID, that in that particular category could have grown 25%. Oh, easily. Right. Easily. Unbelievable. Um, so often anxiety and depression are talked about together. Yes. Right? So what's the relationship? Um, well, they typically travel, so if someone is experiencing, what I have seen in sort of 20 odd years of counseling is that if someone is dealing with sort of more acute anxiety where they, they, they have an inability to, uh, things get them panicky, they get paralyzed, they're anxious, they can't sleep, they're nervous, right, nervous stomach, you know, irritable bowel, all of those things that can, that can connect, uh, you'll oftentimes find that there'll be some level of depression there as well, mm. and flip the other way around. Mm. So it's not always a one-to-one -one ratio, but you can usually expect somebody who struggles with anxiety to have some level of depression, and someone who has depression to have some level of anxiety that they're struggling with. So what do you say to somebody who is trying to figure out if what they're going through right now, what they're feeling, is anxiety, depression related? Tough. Just suck it up. <laughs> Right? You're good at this, huh? I am. You get a lot of repeat customers or? No, but no. we do have a large campus that we bury a lot of things. <laughs> um, so if somebody, so, so some of the, the telltale signs are, again, what is, what is at the forefront of our mind? Like what occupies most of your thinking? Like when you have free time, when your mind can go to what it wants, uh, where does it go? Where does it hang out? Where does it sort of obsess? Mm and sort of go back over. And that's oftentimes how you can sort of tend to identify what's, what's causing anxiety will often be directly related to what's occupying most of your thought in that, in that time frame. Yeah. yeah. Um, we were talking earlier, and you had uh, mentioned uh, an individual that you, had, you were counseling and talking with mm -hmm. uh, who um, maybe didn't fully realize where they were because of some of the ways they were trying to even cope with and mm -hmm. deal with it. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so this individual had definitely for, for very, very clearly anxiety issues. They, they, and they were able to recognize some of that, but they were very more highly analytical. And so everything is being processed through logic and sequence and analysis. Um, and so what he wasn't seeing, they weren't seeing in the midst of that is, they were actually depressed too, but they weren't able to identify it at the time, but they were, were, they were having signs of that where there was like this listlessness, they, they, they had lost motivation to want to really do anything, though they weren't feeling depressed, like they didn't have the words of that, but very clearly it was evidenced in, in their, their stories and when we were able to pull that back and help them begin to see that there was more going on than the anxiety. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think sometimes that's uh, where people can find themselves, right, is mm -hmm. uh, not realizing something has progressed. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, you, when we talked before, you had said, uh, jokingly but true, like when I asked that question, hey, how do you know, you said, 
ask your spouse or ask people around you, they'll tell you. Yeah. Like, uh, and uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek, but that's so it true. Is. It's a good, I mean, it, the people that are closest to you are going to have the most accurate view of you mm. that you're not going to like. <laughs> Because they see you, right? Especially a spouse or someone that's close. That, yeah. But they have a unique way of being able to say, yeah, you may not see this, but we do. Because mm-hmm. we experience the effect of the anxiety or the effect of whatever it is. Yeah. So the home. So there are some, uh, I think, that say that um, anxiety and depression are just, just medical issues, mm-hmm. right? And can be treated with medication. On the flip side of that, I think there are others that say that it's just a spiritual issue, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that it can be fixed by just, well, just have more faith. Just do this. Like, that's the solution sort of thing. Like memorize Leviticus, and then that'll solve that. That'll, yep. That usually works for most things. That's, that's why I usually, it's my first stop. You're going to end up memorizing Leviticus in a whole different problem, I think, when you get to the end of that. So, uh, but what are your thoughts around that idea? Like, those that say it's just a medical issue or it's just a spiritual issue. Yeah, like, like anything, right? We, we, we have a natural tendency as humans to gravitate towards certain things based on our own preferences. But, it, but I think what's important to understand is the reason why within the medical world um, it's primarily just viewed solely through the lens of they need medication because they're only looking at us as human beings, biological beings, not as spiritual beings. And so they're only addressing and trying to to deal with the issue from a medical perspective. There's something biological, there's something that's not working in the system, the neurons are not firing the way that they ought to. So there's there's no consideration of anything outside of what's happening and what they can observe in the body, right? The other ditch is, right, when the overcorrect, right, the correction is, right, for, for those that follow God and, and, and trust in Jesus, we recognize we are spiritual beings. We're created in his image. Um, there's, there's a soul-body connection that we have to pay attention to, but they overemphasize the spiritual element where it says you just need more faith. You just need to memorize more scripture. You just need to be better. Just do better, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, and, and then demonize over here when in fact no what we need to do is we need to to take a balance and i think a holistic view of okay well is there something going on in the body because we know that there are there are diseases there are things that start to fun that that don't work well in the body at times that will cause some of these symptoms and to just address physical issues with spiritual solutions is going to hurt the person but likewise if i address a spiritual issue as a physical one then I'm, either way, I'm not going to help the person yeah. as best as I can. Yeah, well, you said it. It's the holistic approach, right? Like, yeah. And so as, because, because God knows us, right, and we were created in his image, and we are both biological and spiritual, mm-hmm. uh, anything just addressing one without the consideration of where the other plays in right. leaves you half addressed i don't know well yeah think of think of the difference between you know if you're building a plane and you just put one wing on you're not going to get too far right yeah you know right um Hmm. so yeah so so i think being able to consider some of that and and that's that's what i'm saying there's that's where humility comes in uh one of the things that, that 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 i share with people on my best day with my greatest insight with the illumination of the holy spirit with the word of god in the community of faith i see dimly 
we don't have all the answers, yet we like to think we do. We like to think that we know more than we do. Mm -hmm. But when we can come in with a general curiosity and humility of, okay, what's going on in this person's world, and not just assume, but come alongside and try to find out, okay, what, what is driving this, yeah. um, I think is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. And again, we're not trying to solve everything. We're just yep. trying to give people handles to, to be able to deal with the yeah. issues. And so anxiety and depression being those top two things, mm -hmm. and I know you had mentioned to me in that order, anxiety one, depression two, uh, are some of those in the mental health mm -hmm. crisis. Those are the top two things. And even in the church. Yeah, yeah so it's across, like yeah. It's, it's across, it does yeah. not matter between Christians, non-Christians, these are the two top issues. Yeah, and so we're, today, uh, we're going to, uh, we're going to focus for the rest of our conversation on anxiety. Um, know that this, I mean, barely even scratches the surface. Uh, the hope here today is that this helps uh, all of us to understand a little bit more uh, what this world looks like. How if we're one and eight, if we're one of the other seven, how we might be able to help somebody else engage God with their anxiety, engage God with your mental health. And so here's a question for you. Uh, it's one of the first things when we started talking about how we were going to talk that I'm like, hey, I want to hear how Craig answers this question. And it's Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. So, so many of us hear this first part, mm -hmm. don't be anxious about anything. Like it's this command, what are we supposed to do with that if we struggle with anxiety? Just obey. Just what? Just obey. That's it? Just, Solve the problem? Just do it. It says don't be anxious, so don't Again, be anxious. Again, you don't get a lot of return people, do you? Mm, you know, what can I say? <laughs> Um, so, so the idea here, uh, right, do not be anxious, while it's, it's written in the form of a command, it's not in the command in the way that you would think as in, if I don't do this, right, normally we think if God commands you to do something and you don't do it, it's immediately sin, like you're, you're disobeying. And some people teach it that way, but, but I, I have found that there's a, a more holistic sort of way of understanding the whole narrative of Scripture. So when you step back and the bigger, the bigger thing that God repeatedly shares to his people all the way through the narrative is do not be afraid, do not be afraid, fear not, I am with you, fear not, I am, do not be afraid. And if you can imagine um, as, a, as a dad, right, when your kids were young yeah. and they experienced their first thunderstorm, right, they haven't heard that. They haven't processed any of that. This is all new. This is unnerving for them. Um, do you just say, stop being afraid, or I'm going to put you in timeout, or I'm going to, you know, mm. how, mm. how would that have worked? Right. That would probably, my wife would have been quite irritated. With yeah, she would have put you in timeout. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but but in, in, in that situation, what, as a father, what are you doing when you say, don't be afraid? Yeah. You're inviting them to say, hey, listen, I'm here. I see you. I will protect you. I'm for you. Don't be afraid. And that's, that's far more the tone of what Scripture talks about. When God says, don't be afraid, he's saying, because I'm here. That's his character. Is right? a character. that yes. when, we're, when we're in these situations. Right. It's, it's, truly, it's, it's truly his character uh, in that situation. So when we talk about that, if this was the only passage in Scripture that talked about anxiety, it would be reasonable to say, okay, that's what we do. Mm -hmm. However, if we 
look at the same author in 2 Corinthians. Remember, this is the same person who told us not to be anxious about anything. What does he say here? And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure in me of what? The anxiety for all of the churches. Now, what's important to note, that word anxiety is the same word that's used in Philippians. Can't get past it in the, in the original language. Can't say, well, this is a different word. This is, it's the same word. So it immediately points us to it. It can't be that all anxiety is sinful because the very author who says don't be anxious is doing what? He's experiencing anxiety. He's experiencing a burden. Um, but it's the focus of the burden is far more what the issue is versus what having a burden. Yeah. What drives it. Yeah. I, I love the, that, uh, that reframing of uh, the Philippians verse and thinking about the way God might say that to me, being that in the storm, and, uh, and the care that that right. has with it and the way that it expresses God caring for me in the, in the same way that this, this frames it and says, well, yes, we're saying don't be anxious. But, right. but he's, saying, saying don't, yeah, he's saying don't be anxious because I am actively on your, working on your behalf. Yeah. And so it's an invitation to rest. It's an invitation to pivot. Like this is what we are supposed to do. We're supposed to, to turn and, and bring those weighty things to God, mm. right? He wants us to recast our cares upon him, our anxieties on him, because he cares for you, right? So it's a very key thing. If you put up the uh, Ed Welsh, who's a, a very seasoned counselor, shares this. He says, our fears arouse God's compassion, not his rebuke. Right. What do you think about that for a minute? Our fears, your fear, your anxiety, whatever it is that you're feeling, it doesn't even have to be fear and anxiety, whatever it is that's going on in your life, what's, your struggle evokes God's compassion, not his irritation or disappointment. And, and that's a very important thing for us to really be able to, to understand. Because when someone is anxious and they just hear, don't be anxious about anything, well, what are they going to be anxious about? Not getting anxious, because then they're going to make it even worse, and then they get stuck in that loop. Mm-hmm. Um, so is this something, I mean, is it realistic at all to say we can overcome, like it's ever something we can truly just overcome? Like it's done, I'm done with anxiety, I don't, I don't get anxious about anything anymore. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> um, but no. I, I think it's an unrealistic goal to eradicate anxiety, but it is a realistic goal to learn how to navigate it um, and develop anxiety resilience. Like, how do I deal with the pressures of my day-to-day life um, as they, they come about? Because we live in a fallen world, and so as long as we live in a fallen world, there's going to be danger, there's going to be things that are going to push in on our lives um, that are going to cause fear, anxiety, and, and every other emotion. Hmm. So there's really uh, a, a way to look at that is, and you said it a little bit with the ditches too, but there's a unhealthy, and then there's a healthy version of anxiety, because it's a part of our lives. So yes. really the approach can be, how do, we, how, do we, how do we find ourselves more in the healthy form yep. and not the unhealthy? Okay, so if we, if we even take a look at, if you go back into Genesis, when Adam and Eve eat of the fruit, what's the first thing that happens? They knew that they were naked and ashamed, right? And so what did they do? When you, ask, when you typically ask someone, what did they do next? And if they're not looking at the text, nine times out of ten, they'll say they hid. Didn't hide. 
They went on a fig leaf project. Mm. They went to try to correct the issue themselves. And so what that points us to is understanding that right from the genesis of our creation and, and coming into the fall is that, that self-sufficiency is, is very much an evidence of our fallen nature where we try to figure it out ourselves. We almost, it's like what I call orphan theology. It's up to right, the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I, to figure it out. Mm. You know, so being able to pay attention to, to, the, to those things um, is incredibly important. So when we think about the idea of how do we sort of navigate this, if we put up, uh, we have a visual here that sort of talks about sort of understanding the reality of anxiety. Uh, and, and for all of us, the, the first thing is that we, we all have a past, right? Um, and understanding the past, these are the moments that we have lived that can't change. Right. C.S. Lewis says that they're frozen, they no longer flow. Can't do anything about them. No matter how much I rehearse them, um, I'm going to still experience the same emotions every time I go there, right? Whether it's regret about things, um, like we can go back and back and back and it won't change the situation, but I'll keep reliving a lot of the emotions will follow suit. Um, and so when we rehearse that, it can oftentimes cause us to get crushed by our past or immobilized by it. And then the, the, the forward part, which is the future, this is where typically anxiety lives. And let me just say this. There's a difference between what I would say, the difference between anxiety and fear, right? Fear is the, the, the sort of the, the overarching bigger reality where fear is more attached to real danger of a situation. A hurricane has landed. We need to get out of here. Versus anxiety is what if a hurricane land, comes on land. What, what, do we, what do we do with that? One is perceived coming danger. One is real, right? And the, God has designed our bodies with our nervous system to respond to get ourselves out. And so it's understanding some of those elements. But we get oftentimes locked in the future, and these are the moments I can't control, but I want to, <laughs> right? I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to peer into the future. Um, but all I get is more and more anxiety. Mm -hmm. And then what you have is at the center here is the idea of the present, um, which realistically, these are the only moments that you and I have. I can't do anything about the past. I can't control the future as much as I'd like to. The only moment I have any type of malleability with is the moment right now. And that's why Jesus invited us, right? Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. There's enough evil today, right? There's enough trouble today that I'll meet you in and I'll engage you with. Mm -hmm. And so what we're seeing here is it, from a 30,000 feet, it's helping someone shift their focus from the future what-ifs to the what-is of the present. And that's what God is constantly calling us to do. You see that in Israel's history, right? The, the manna was, a, was not just because God was trying to teach them to be dependent, but also that he could be trusted on a daily basis. Yeah. You were telling me uh, before about uh, an example of a couple. That, oh, yes. That... Yeah. yeah, so I, I was working with, and the, the, these are kind of fun for me, because I, I kind of know where I'm going, but they, they feel pretty hopeless, but I kind of know where I'm going, so I, I'm a little bit more optimistic, a little Tigger-esque in that scenario. But I had a wife was a, a doctor, emergency room doctor, and the husband was an engineer. And by the time I was working with them, they were one click from divorce. The wife was convinced the husband didn't care. 
because she would come to him and ask him a question, and he would just look at her and not respond. And she would get exasperated. It's like, say something, just swear at me or something. Let me know somebody's inside, you know? Um, and she would go away and fill a dishwasher or, or do that and come back and hope that he had come to a conclusion. Well, he still had, didn't have an answer. And so what he was hoping when we got into the story, he was just hoping she'd forget about it, <laughs> right? And so she's concluding, he just doesn't care about what I'm asking. But what you found is in the story, he was paralyzed by anxiety about giving the wrong answer. And so his silence wasn't indifference. His silence was, I don't know how to engage this because he's operating from, I must have the right answer for my wife, not just a answer. And so when we were able to map that out and she saw it wasn't he didn't care, he just didn't know how to engage her fast-moving mind where he had all of this liberty to think of right, all of the combinations. Which is the nature of both their careers, right? Yes. She is a... Uh, quick decision environment. He is methodical an thinking yeah. of all of the implications. Yeah, right. And figuring out the best path forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when that happened, it was like it changed the whole tone of the room. Mm. The wife all of a sudden didn't want to get divorced and was really excited about learning to engage yeah. each other. Yeah. So, what's one of the things that uh, people can do uh, if they're struggling? They find themselves. What can we give somebody tangibly? as something to do if they find themselves in anxiety, in a depression state, if, uh, if they live with or know somebody that is? What, what is something you would say to that? Well, first of all, I would, I would want to have a conversation with them, yeah. you know, to be able to, to find out what's going on in their world. Because, yeah. again, we have a tendency, because we live in a world that's so focused on productivity, efficiency, and results, we want to move things really quickly. And, and fast isn't always better. You know, bigger isn't always better. I know we're in America, so I've just said something blasphemous. Bigger isn't better. We're in America. Got to build it big. Uh, so, but I, but I think being able to to identify some of those things and have the conversation. If you see somebody who's been struggling or they they feel stuck, being able to say, hey, you know, I see that you kind of are in a hard space. Yeah. I'd love to I'd love to get coffee with you, or I'd love to just be able to hear what's what has been making life so hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and again, it, it comes back to, I don't have to have all the answers. Sometimes we get paralyzed to step into someone else's world because we're afraid of, well, what if I don't have an answer? But you know what? Nine times out of ten, nobody's looking for an answer. They're looking for a person. And so to be present in someone's life when they're struggling is far more important than being profound or bringing some type of answer. You being present is the most profound thing you can do to somebody who feels isolated and alone and struggling. Yeah, I love this quote that you shared with me from Scotty Smith that says, Grieving friends need our tears more than our teaching, our silence more than our solutions, and our faces more than our fixes. Yeah. I think that idea, like engage, uh, if it's you, engage with people around you. Talk to people around you that are, are, that are struggling with that. Um, if you're the seven, same thing. Engage. Have conversations about it. Um, that's what... It's one thing I want people to know is that, that if, if it's not you, it's likely someone you know or love. It's one in eight, right? It's one in eight. And today we just, I mean, barely scratched the surface, right, of the conversation about anxiety and those thoughts about how you can engage God with your mental health. But you can. 
And sometimes it starts with other people. But because we are holistically created by God, he understands our biological and he understands our spiritual. That's where this conversation can often get it, make its most, take up its most ground, make its best progress. And so we've created uh, today for you kind of a resource that you can go to. If you scan the QR code in the chair back in front of you, if you scan this, uh, if you're watching somewhere at home or even now, we've created a resource link. Craig has some videos in there where he teaches about anxiety. And if you're struggling with that, what you can do uh, with depression, we put book links in there, some great books if you're a reader. Maybe that's your first step. Maybe that's the first step that you take towards healing or helping someone do that. Um, another way that we always talk about doing that, and you can also find that at the ridge.org slash recesses, sorry, resources. Um, the other way is you can text now, right now, to 812-408-1188. If you want to talk to somebody, like Craig said, engaging other people, that's a start, right? That can be your first step to do that. Uh, and you can always email us at the church at infointheridge.org and say that's what you want to do. Maybe you want to engage one of those care conversations with a pastor and just say, I need help. I don't know where to go next in this situation. We want to help you in that. Right after I pray here, we're going to be up front. Craig and I will be. Uh, you can come talk to us. We're going to have some other folks up here with us as well. Um, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for considering this, considering this as a community of people that care and love for people, how we can do that for others. I'd like to pray. God, thanks so much um, for your understanding of how we are created, who we are, that you understand this mental health conversation, that you get it, you know the path for us. And I pray that you would help each of us, whether we know somebody who is struggling or we are that person, to engage others in the conversation, to start to take those steps, to say, I need help in that. I pray that you would go with us today and challenge us to take our next step in learning, understanding, and doing uh, in this whole area and engaging you in our mental health conversation. It's your name I pray. Amen.